All right, 2024, we made it. Congratulations. We're one week in, too. Seven days into 2024, you've done it. You got one whole week. You got 51 to go. Okay, so good job. How how the resolutions doing? Anybody have any of those still intact? Or I see some head nods. That's good. Um, some of you are like I don't I don't do resolutions, but uh, certainly there's some things that maybe you've mustered up the motivation to do. Um, and of course, this time of year we think about these things. It's really, hey, we get a new shot clean slate. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so maybe you have some of those goals. Maybe you have some of those motivations. Maybe some of your like resolution is out the window. You know, I started just not doing like big resolutions. Like, I want achievable things. Like I'm going to go, like I'm going to make sure I can hit it this year. And uh, maybe that's not the thing to do. I don't know. But, um, but hopefully um, your year is starting off in the right direction. And uh, so glad that you are here. You have perfect attendance. Good job. You made it. Uh, in 2024, that's awesome. Uh, well, hey, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a resolution necessarily this year, but I did get a strong dose of motivation a few weeks ago. And uh, you know, the, you don't ever pick how these things are going to hit you or uh, when these moments are going to come. But um, and it's usually it, 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 it's sometimes, especially when you're least expecting it, uh, that is the most motivating. And so I'm just sitting in the kitchen. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm not, actually it might have been like a month ago, it feels like a couple weeks, it's still strong in my memory, but I'm in there and I, don't, I might have been taking and shoving some of Heather Beckman's Buckeyes in my face, you know, at that point or something, and, and I'm like, it's okay, 2024, we'll get all that sorted out, and, and uh, Jude, he's, you know, he's four, uh, he, he just, the things he says is like, it cracks me up until it's personal, and uh, he just walks in the kitchen, and he, he looks at me, and he goes, hey, how, how you doing, Big Juicy? <laughs> That's Mr. Big Juicy to you. <laughs> I'm like, that, now, you know why that hurts? Is because kids are so unfiltered. Like, that's the reason that hurts. Like, it stings. Like, I let a kid get under my skin, you know? And I'm, like, thinking to myself, like, okay, like, the, the makes it worse is that he's not trying to insult me. Like, that makes it worse. But he's also not trying to not insult me, too. He's just like, it's just an observation. He just looks at me and he goes, looking a little extra juicy, my man. Like, he's, you know, it's like big juicy. Like, I don't even want to ask you how you came up with that or where you heard that. It's certainly not something that just, like, is floating around. But somehow that became my nickname with him. And uh, I'm like, can we just go with dad? Like, that's, that's fine. But as soon as he said it, I'm like, literally, like, in that moment, like, I need to go for a run. Like, right now. 26 miles minimum. So my motivation, I'm looking to de-juicify in 2024 a little bit. Um, but, you know, as I'm kind of thinking about the new year, and I'm thinking about some of the motivations that I have, and uh, just thinking about, you know, what's interesting is like nobody, and, and this kind of makes sense, right? I'm just trying to stating the obvious, but nobody makes intentionally reckless resolutions. You know, wouldn't that be interesting if like people just said like, like the, the thing you would least expect them to say, like, what are you resolving to do in 2024? And somebody's like, it's going to be the year of the Big Mac. Like, I'm Big Mac every day. Like, I'm going, now I know a guy did that in like a Super Size Me movie, but that was for, I think he probably made a lot of money doing that. But nobody's like, I'm going to just eat all of the, like, all the things that are really bad for me. They say it's got, like, whatever they're saying. Like, if GMOs are bad for you, I'm eating all the GMOs. Like, that's, 2024 is going to be the year where I just absolutely have the worst diet. Nobody does that, right? They're like, I'm going to eat healthier in 2024. Nobody goes, I'm going to see how little exercise I can get in 2024. Like, I, 
Minimal movement. That's my, that's, my, that's my zone right there, all right? A lot of people are like, no, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do this this year. Nobody's like, I'm going to see how little exercise I can get. Or you know, nobody goes. Now, the interesting thing about these things, too, is we don't need to resolve to do these things. Often they just kind of happen, right? Like Nobody's like, I'm going to speak my mind without restraint in 2024. I'm going to see how many people's feelings I can hurt. Like, can you imagine if this was like somebody's resolution? Like, you know, uh, I'm going to see how many people I can tick off or how many fights I can get in in 2024. But, you know, some of us find ourselves into these same predicaments, right? Um, or did any of you have the resolution that's like, I'm going to see how much debt I can get into in 2024? Probably not, right? We don't yet. We find ourselves kind of in this natural path toward these things often. And... Um, you know, I, I kind of set this up to say, you know, we don't generally set out to make a mess of things to divide what's in our best interest, right? We don't do that. We set good intentions. We have good intentions. We have high hopes, right? Especially at the start of the year. And, but often, um, we find ourselves kind of amidst these reckless resolutions that we didn't set. Now, what's interesting about what we're going to be talking about today and what's interesting about the book that we're going to be studying, first of all, Jonah is a fascinating book especially when you kind of get beyond the Sunday school version of Jonah, and that's fascinating enough, right? Uh, Jonah, same Jonah, belly of the big fish, and, uh, which is pretty incredible. That's one of those Bible stories you remember in Sunday school. But there's so much nuance and so much um, really that captures both um, the nature of mankind, the heart of God, and, and that's what we're really going to be digging into a little bit today. But when we, as we start out... Um, you know, none of us set out to make reckless resolutions, but this is exactly what the rogue prophet Jonah did. He resolved to run from God. He deliberately decided, like, God's here, I'm going that direction. And most likely, you haven't purposefully made that specific decision. Maybe you have, but more often than not, we don't make that decision, but we find ourselves along that trajectory. And so today, we begin the story of Jonah, the rogue prophet, the runaway prophet, and uh, it's a very fascinating story. And what I want to do for you today as we get started is give you a little bit of background, but also my job today is sort of to set the course for us, and so I want to just pull to the surface here some, some really interesting and fascinating uh, lessons that come from the story of Jonah as a whole, as we really look at the book and look at some of what is happening there. There's too many details to cover in full, uh, but I want to pull to the surface some of the big lessons that we can find in Jonah. So some background for you. Uh, Jonah was a prophet primarily uh, to Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. Uh, yeah, that one. You, you probably remember him, but maybe you don't. Uh, but 793 to 753 B.C., and he was a prophet primarily to Israel. He was a prophet to what would be referred to as the people of God, like God's nation of Israel. And what is fascinating here is that God sends this prophet, who's like, you know, the job that he signed up for was to be a prophet to Israel. And he says, hey, um, you're going to go to this place called Nineveh. And we see that he really didn't like that because what does he do? He runs away. And so God says, you're going to go to Nineveh, and to know something about Nineveh, Nineveh is a very wicked people. Uh, and if there was ever a people that you would not expect God's favor to fall upon, it was Nineveh. Which again, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about, it really is revealing of the heart of God. 
This guy's looking at this really wicked group of people and he's saying, I want you to go there with the message of repentance. I want you to go there. I want you to tell them about my love. You go there. And Jonah is like, um, let me think about it, God. No. Can you imagine saying that? To, I mean, this is essentially what he is doing. He's, he's defiant toward God. And he's saying, I'm not going there. No, no way, not them, not happening. And he could not fathom that God's grace would extend to, quote, those people. I understand it's, it's for the nation of Israel. It's for this, this group of people. But them? No. They're too much a mess. They're too wicked. There's no way. I'm not going there. And it's so ironic, isn't it, that the prophet that teaches repentance is a prophet that is prone to rebellion. This is what we'll see. And so the story unfolds, which teaches this powerful lesson about ourselves, God, and ultimately God's great purpose. And that's how you have to, that's the lens through which you have to read the book of Jonah is this picture and really this foreshadowing that is happening in the prophet and through the prophet, not just through his words, but through his actions, which we're going to see here. And, and so here's lesson number one that we see quite clearly in Jonah, and that is that we are a people of habitual rebellion. We are a people of habitual rebellion. Now, what's amazing is that God is going to use Jonah in a way that Jonah doesn't even expect. Even in his defiance, God is using him to project a message, not only to Nineveh, where God's sending him, but back to Israel, because here Israel's prophet is, and what God is showing Israel is, listen, let's talk about their wickedness. What about your own? What about your rebellion, right? And you're, you're so hard in your heart that you would say that they are beyond God's reach. They are beyond um, God's grace. And so what, what God is doing is he's showing them their own rebellion, even through the representative of Israel in Jonah the prophet. And so Jonah doesn't even realize it, but he is a prophecy story. He is an object lesson in the hand of God, which is quite fascinating to me. So the point isn't just the message God is sending to Nineveh through the mouth of the prophet. It's the message God is sending to Israel, his people, and to us through Jonah's actions. And that message is loud and clear that we are a defiant people. We are a people of habitual rebellion. Our hearts are fallen. And we have to have an awareness of that. Even Israel's prophet is prone to rebellion. And we see it play out. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So there's no there is an acknowledgement of how wicked this people is, right? And so what does Jonah do? He runs away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. That's a hard word for me to say. <laughs> You'll see that. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship and he bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went, he jumped on, he sailed for, we'll call it what's modern day Spain, to flee from the Lord, okay? Why did he do that? And you're like, what? He's got to be crazy, right? Like, he thinks he can do this. He can defy God in this way. He's a prophet. Like, shouldn't he know better? And we'll learn more in the, the weeks ahead about just the irony of all of this, right? But imagine this, that the same mercy and love that he doesn't want to extend to Nineveh is being shown to him throughout this story. And we say, you know, I would never do that. I would never run from God. Like, what a, what a futile task to take up and run from God. But what about when we let our feelings, impulses, and desires lead us 
away from God? What about when we resist God's inner work in our life? You ever had that moment where you're like, God, I know God's trying to deal with something in here, but I kind of keep him out, I keep closed off, right? I mean, is this not a form of running from God, even just as we resist him? What about when we allow our hearts to be hardened on something, whether it's to an individual or whether it's in unforgiveness or whatever it might be? What about that? What about when we put off the things that God is calling us to do? What about when we procrastinate when it comes to our purpose? What about when we let disappointment or anger with God drive a wedge into our relationship with Him? We just kind of let that stuff sit. We let that stuff stew. And God's like, hey, if you want to talk about it, I'm right here. And we just let it build up. And we, we keep it, let, let it run unchecked in our life. And at some level, all of these things were driving Jonah's decision to run. And there are all kinds of reasons I could give, reasons that we run and ways in which we run from God and we steer um, away from God. Regardless of the reason, though, never a great result. And we see that in his story. So little detail here in the text, it says, and there's so many of these little details that if you pay attention, it's really uh, interesting, but it says that Jonah paid his fare and he set sail for Tarshish. David Guziak offers this commentary of Jonah 1, 3. It says, Nevertheless, when you run away from the Lord, you never get where you're going, and you always pay your own fare. When you go the Lord's way, you not only get where you're going, and he provides the fare. So he never makes it where he's going, right? Because we know how the story concludes. And he also pays the price for it. And that is uh, very evident in this story. So it always benefits us. The result is never good to go our way. It always benefits us to go God's way. And as much as we know that, we still find ourselves, as the old hymn says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so an awareness of that is the first thing. Did a a hike. Uh, Paul and I actually went down to... um, we went down to uh, Kentucky to do some hiking down the Red River Gorge and uh, a few few months back, and uh, it was awesome, fun time. And we were going to do a couple hikes each day while we were down there, and we just kind of spent some time, and um, we're like, we're going to just let's try to do just a couple different hikes that maybe not as many people do, and uh, one of them was one that my father-in-law had recommended, and we're like, we're going to do this day one. It's called Indian Staircase. Like, it sounds really cool, and uh, but it's not really on a lot of like the main maps, and I think there's a reason for that. And uh, uh, now, um, I know. So uh, we're like trying to find it, and we're trying to like download these maps, and we're like, we we want to figure out like how to, you know, maybe even try to ahead of time know where we're going because it's really important. There's a lot of just like places to just fall off down there, and uh, if you don't know where you're going, you get into a sticky situation really quick. And so we're like, let's try to. Our maps were not working really well, first of all. The, it's not clear, like, exactly where the path is. And uh, so we just kind of were like, well, we'll figure it out. You know, why not? Let's just go. And so we go up, and um, it starts to become really apparent. And I'm starting to think, like, I don't know if we're on the trail anymore. Like, I, it's starting to get really sketchy. And, and I started to think to myself, like, if this is the path, like, my father-in-law picked this one for me. Like, we were on the edge of a cliff. And I'm like, what? I thought we had a good relationship, you know? And, and I started like thinking, this is not Indian Staircase. This should be called Death's Doorstep. Like, I mean, we are like on something like this wide. 
We've got these little twigs to hold on to, which is just like, and we, we coined the phrase walking fetal position because this is what we did across the wall. We're like, don't die, don't die, don't die, don't die. You know, and you're just like, like any little bit gives way. And I'm like, and we had no idea if we were we still on the path or whatever. And we kind of come around and we finally get back onto a little bit of an area where I can breathe and let my heart rate come down from 200. And uh, we're just like, okay, I think it's over. And I see this little sign, and there's this little sign, and it's got a guy, like, on the sign, like, no joke. It's like a guy that looks like this. And it says, stay on the trail. It's just like, that's all it says. Like, stay on the trail. Like, were we on the trail or were we not on the trail? I don't know, but I don't want to be like that guy. Like, that guy has a serious problem. And uh, you know they put that sign up there because there have been people that have, like, done that. And, uh, and so I'm like, man, I'm glad we got through that. We did survive, as you can tell. And uh, so that was good. But um, we looked at our map afterwards. First of all, we turned a three-mile hike uh, into a six-mile hike. And, uh, and then I had this little, this was from my maps. The green one is the path. Um, just one section of it, by the way. That's not even the full loop. And as you can see, the blue is us. Like, what are we doing? Like, what, what point we're like, oh, wait. And then there's one up here. It's like, no, that's a total U-turn. Like, we are way, come all the way back. And so we're just like all over the place. And uh, thanks be to God we stand here today. But, you know, none of us are going to take that journey that perfectly aligns with God's will. We're not going to match up perfectly with that green line. I've told you this before. Um, the French leader that said to me, has really struck me and stuck with me when he said, holiness is repenting sooner and sooner. It's never too soon to reroute, right? If you're starting to, unlike Jonah, who's like, I'm doubling down on this running from God thing, the smartest thing we can do as we're resisting is to turn back to God in repentance. And we can do that at any point in time. And repentance is really the way in which we counteract this habitual nature we have to wander. And this is a practice that God gives us to do over and over again because we are a people of habitual rebellion. Now, Jonah doesn't do this. He sticks with it. He makes a defiant decision, and he sticks with it, and he's like, I'm going to keep running from God. And so he runs and runs and runs. And so the second lesson that we see in the story of Jonah is that while we are a people of habitual rebellion, God is a God of persistent pursuit. God is a God of persistent pursuit. What was so special about this place that I can barely pronounce <laughs> that, uh, that Jonah wanted to run there? Why did he set that place in Spain in his destination as like, I want to go there? It wasn't because it was some exotic destination he wanted to visit. It wasn't because it was nice this time of year. It wasn't those reasons. The reason that he went to that place is because it was the farthest place that he could possibly get away, both from Nineveh and from Israel, and in his estimation, from God. And so he chose it precisely because of the distance from which he could remove himself from God and the, the length to which he could run from God. Now, if anybody should know the futility of running from God, you would think it would be a prophet, right? And he most certainly knew it, but he did it anyway. He would have known what David said, I mean, in Psalm 139, 7 through 12, he would have understood the theology behind this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, David says? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand 
will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. <clears throat> if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. I mean, you get the picture there? And that is incredibly good news, especially for those of us that are prone to wander. That God is a God of persistent pursuit. And as you think about your story, as you think about your story and God's place in your story, you can look back, hopefully, and detect just how God intervened, just how God chased you down. And for some of you, you might not have recognized it yet, but I can tell you right now, God is in pursuit of each and every one of you. We play this game. We went, we went camping with our boys. It's like we do, we do these things that nobody else would do, which is like, let's go camping in the middle of winter. Like, no joke. We started this a couple years ago, and some of us have taken our, our boys out to do this. And it was just kind of a spontaneous thing, and we did it again this year. And uh, so we go out in the middle of Indiana. We're going we're gonna to just camp out there. We get the entire Hoosier National Forest basically to ourselves because nobody else is like, hey, let's go camping, you know, but it is incredible, it was amazing, we had a fun time, um, another story is uh, we ended up in the ER, my son, uh, you can ask him about his hand, but, you know, we had to get at least one ER trip in every year anyway, so it's good, as we were coming to the end of the year, and almost in it, so glad that worked out, um, that's not, yeah, sorry, um, <laughs> But uh, we played this game, it's called Sardines. You ever played this game, Sardines? It's, it's a fun game, and especially out in the woods when you have like an entire forest at your disposal. We set some parameters, and with all of our kids, we also, just so you know, so we're not careless parents, like we each put an adult with a kid because we don't have to have a search and rescue situation, you know? So we're like, okay, we're gonna, and so what you do is you just go and you hide. There's a group that hides, and everybody else is gonna find the group. And when you find them, it's not like hide and seek, you tag them, you get down in there with them and you hide. So like by the end of the game, you got like 20 people in like a spot, like hiding, you know? And then finally like the last group's like, ah, you could, you didn't find us, whatever. And so uh, Eli and I went first and I was super excited about it because I'm like, I have a great plan. And uh, they're all like kind of watching, doing what kids do when they're actually counting, which is like, you know? And so I'm like, all right, Eli, here's what we're going to do. I'm anticipating they're kind of watching. We're going to go out this direction and as they're watching us, we're going to dip off because there's a road on this side, and we're going to drop down, we're going to duck below the road, and we're going to walk all the way right back and set up right alongside them. Never going to find us there. Sure enough, I, I was, I, I, we were kind of down below this berm. I'm peeking up. They all go that direction, right? They're all like, they fell for it. This is awesome. So we totally outwitted them, totally outsmarted them. We are getting so bored because our hiding spot was so good that we started just making noise like, <laughs> like stuff like, and they're like, oh, there's a weird, like, some bird out here, like not, like that's, so finally people started to find us and like we're hiding with us, but we, I would say, I felt like we won that day, you know, we outsmarted the group, we outwitted them. Now, I say all that to say, you can't do that with God, and here, here the prophet is, he thinks that he can do this with God, but I just imagine, like if you think about that game, like I just imagine, you know, Jonah's like, sitting there like on the boat right now and uh, he thinks he's outsmarting, outmaneuvering, outwitting, outrunning God and God's like, he's just hiding out in the bottom of the boat and God's just right next to him like, he's hiding there too. He's like, who are we hiding from? You can even imagine, I mean, this is essentially the futility of this. Like he's, you, he's been with you the whole time. Like you can, you can run as hard as you want but you cannot outrun God. You can't outrun him, you can't outsmart him, you can't outwit or outmaneuver him. 
And though it might not feel like good news, especially if you are trying to resist and run from God, it is most certainly good news that God is a persistent pursuer of each and every one of us. And Jonah seems to have forgotten about this, but he's about to get a dose of reality about God's ever-present nature because God's next attempt at getting Jonah's attention is a little bit less subtle. It says then that the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Jonah's in the bottom of the boat resting. He's, he's gotten on the ship. There's sailors there, and he's just camped out taking a nap, and all of a sudden this is violent. Storm comes up. It's so violent, in fact, that the boat is like breaking apart. Like it's about to, to break into pieces. The sailors are losing their minds. They're calling out to every God that they can think of, and, uh, except the one true God. And they're throwing just everything off the boat, like anything, just doing anything in their own power to, to, to try to solve the situation. And up comes Jonah from the bottom of the deck, like, oh, I got a confession, guys. Like, he's here for me. <laughs> That's my God, and he's here for me. Long story short, tried to outrun him, didn't work. Um, so tell you what we're probably going to need to do. <laughs> You're going to need to throw me out into the water, right? So that in just a minute. But, you know, sometimes, let's just be honest, some of us are a little bit more stubborn than others, you know? It's the ones that aren't saying yes right now. Like, it's, it's all, no, I'm not stubborn. I'm not. Sometimes we need a nudge, sometimes we need knocked off our feet. And unfortunately, I'm like the guy that needs the two-by-four a lot of times. Like, guys like tapping somebody on the shoulder to me. He's like, hey, you know, pay attention. Boom. You know, and that's, that's Jonah. He started with a gentler approach. Hey, I need you to go to Nineveh. Just be reasonable about this. Jonah's like, no. And so he's like, all right, violent storm it is. Like, here we go. Sometimes our stubbornness can be quite resistant to reason. And so this is, God uses this violent storm and I want to show this to you because I think it's important. Some of you might be in the middle of a storm. I'm not saying this is the case all the time. You might be dealing with some difficulty right now, and God is right there in the middle of that. In fact, he is using that very thing to say, hey, I've been trying to get your attention. Are we listening now? Or maybe you're sort of sitting on this pile of wreckage of, of your life that you've kind of made for yourself, and you're like sitting here, and, and God's like, hey, can we talk about this now? Got something better for you. And by the way, even this violent storm is evidence of God's loving pursuit. And so here Jonah is. You could say maybe he's being noble, maybe he's not. It's hard to really know, but he says, throw me in the sea. Could be that he's trying to like really just like, if I just die, I could get away. Like that's, that could be it. Or he could actually, like, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, potentially. Maybe he's saying, like, I don't want all these guys to go down with me, and so just throw me into the sea so that those sailors don't go down to the bottom of the sea. And so regardless of what, I mean, imagine this, they're like, they're taking an individual and they're saying, all right, see you later, throw them into the sea, right? And then they're, like, feeling really bad and they're confessing to God, like, God, please don't, like, we're just trying to do what we think was the right thing. And uh, anyway, just look at the imagery of this moment. What imagery we're given of a man being thrown into the fury of a raging sea to spare the desperate and helpless sailors aboard an otherwise sinking ship. Does that story sound familiar? What about the story of Christ himself casting himself into the throes of death that the wicked, the broken, the restless, the rebellious might have life? 
Now, Jonah is not a perfect picture of Christ in the least bit. That's not my suggestion here. My suggestion is God a lot of times will take these moments in the Old Testament and say, hey, something's coming, something's happening. And he paints this picture of how this story is going to unfold down the way. And here we see a man being thrown into the sea, into the fury of the sea, so that another group of people could be saved. And I believe there's an allusion to a greater story story of a God who's willing to go to the greatest possible length in pursuit of the people that he loves. And he does that. He shows the extent of his love in sending Jonah to Nineveh. He says, I want those people. I care for those people. I love those people. Jonah, I care for you. By the way, even as he continues to rebel, God provides yet another um, way of preserving Jonah and sending a fish to swallow him up, right? And that's the part of the story that we most often Remember, even there, God chases Jonah down. But I believe that even more than Jonah's a story about a prophet on the run, it's a story about a God who is on the move. Even more than this story is about a people who run, it's about a God who is in relentless and loving pursuits. Even more than it's about human deficiency, it's about God's all-sufficiency. Even more than a story of defiance, it's a story of deliverance. Which brings me to one more lesson from Jonah, and that is this. Not only are we a people prone to rebellion and God, a God who is in persistent pursuit, but God's story is a story of miraculous deliverance. Know this, friends, and hear me on this. Every purpose of God has and will prevail. Every purpose of God has and will prevail. That is an important reality to let sink in. And what a powerful reality to take into 2024. God's purposes will prevail. Are we willing to yield to them? Jonah 1.17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Interesting detail there. You know, whether... They're carried out naturally, or in this case, supernaturally. God's purposes have always and will always prevail. When God defies the natural world in order to assert assert his power, what do we call that? We call that a miracle. And there is no natural explanation for Jonah's survival in the belly of a big fish than God's intervention in preserving him, protecting him, and providing for him, sustaining him by his wonder-working power. And not only was it an unprecedented miracle that reminds us of God's purpose, it forecasted the greatest miracle that our faith, the one that our faith is built upon. The miracle by which God's ultimate purpose for mankind was fulfilled. Just as Jonah would spend three days in the belly of a big fish before being spit onto the shore, the true deliverer would one day come to earth, live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, and after spending three days in a tomb, rise again, securing deliverance for all who would receive it. Over 800 years prior to this ever happening, God's giving us this moment in history of Jonah forecasting something incredible and unprecedented, a miracle story that will change the course of human history. And here Jesus is as he, he walks the earth. He's having this conversation with some Pharisees that are really hard in their heart. 
And they're asking for a sign. Like, okay, just show us a sign. Show us a sign that you're the one. Show us a sign that you're the Messiah. And they're closed off to him. They're not seeing the one who is right in front of them. And here's Jesus' response. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was calling the miracle that he was about to perform, the one that God had been setting the stage through Jonah and through all of human history that would culminate in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's story is a story of miraculous deliverance. And your story can be too. All you have to do, stop running, stop resisting, stop making reckless resolutions, and trust fall into the loving arms of Jesus. For some, this is turning to God for the first time. For some, this is turning back to God for the 50th time. For some, this is once more committing to following him wherever he leads. So here's my charge for you. I have, a, I have a word for you in 2024, a word for Axis Church. May 2024 be the year of more. God, may we trust you more in 2024. May we trust you more. May we seek you more. May we fall more deeply in love with the God who loved us first. What we're going to do just as a way of making that vow together, making that collective resolution together, and saying, God, we want to give you our best this year. As a way of doing that as a community, we're going to take communion together. And so um, I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward, and they're going to go ahead and hand uh, a piece of bread and a cup of juice to you. And as they do that, I want you just to hold on to that, and we're going to take communion together, uh, first the bread, then the juice um, as a way of remembering God's greatest miracle. And so um, we'll just, Hannah will play. If, if, if you just want to take this as a time of reflection, you can absolutely do that as well. For those of you that would like to use this opportunity as a vow to God to say, God, I want to trust you more in 2024. I want to remember what you've done so that I can step into all that you have for me, the more that you have for me in 2024. take a moment to let that be passed out. Just take a moment of reflection and prayer and then we'll just hang on to that as we take it together.